Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have a good friend, a really special guest as well. He's John Maxwell certified. Yes, John Maxwell certified, and he's a director at Whip Around. I have Jacob Ciccarelli joining us today. How are you doing, Jake? I'm good. No complaints. Thanks for having me, Cliff. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, as you know, I respect you a whole lot and think really highly of you, and I I couldn't be happier to have you on the show today to have this exciting conversation that we're going to have and to share all this insight that you have as a great leader uh, with everybody that's going to be listening to this today. So really quick, before I introduce the topics, I want to take and do the shout outs really quick to all the listeners and all of our fans following us on social media as well. Thank you, everybody in all 60 plus countries. Love you guys. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for continuing continuing to like, share, and subscribe, and spreading the word about the same show and showing all that love that you guys constantly show us. Uh, be sure, if, you, if you're listening and you don't already follow us, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Sane underscore show, S-A-N-E underscore show on Instagram and Twitter. And then The Sane Show on Facebook. Again, on Facebook, that's The Sane Show. So today... We're going to be talking about don't be a manager. Yes, don't be a manager. Not, not discouraging anybody not to be in a management position, but we'll go on more into that. Then we're going to also talk about being a team. Following that, we're going to have an interview with you, Jake, so that the listeners can learn more about you, your leadership style, and all the fun things that go along with that. So let's go ahead and hop right into it with don't be a manager. Again, I don't want to confuse anybody and not and, and not discourage anyone into not going into a management position, but wanting to have the conversation with you, Jake, because, again, I, I think highly of you. I've seen you. We've worked together before, actually. I've seen you in action. I know how you have led a team, even after transitioning out of a company and seeing that team still be successful. And <laughs> obviously a hallmark of good leadership. And so one of the things that comes to mind when we talk about not being a manager, obviously, there's a difference between someone in a management position actually managing something and actually being a leader. And I wanted you to speak to the listeners a little bit about not being a manager, you know, and actually being a leader. And I, I know you, you got a lot of insight to offer, so I'm going to go ahead and let you take the floor. Yeah. You know, being a manager, anybody can do that job. And I think when people look at growing themselves in a particular company, people look at the fancy title and it's easy to do what the title requires one to do, but to actually be a leader, it's, it's really difficult. As you know, leadership is influence and the ability to influence a leader is oftentimes your own ability to be able to grow and your own openness. So look, it's not an easy thing to do. You have to really care about people. And I think people are at the core of leadership. And it, it gets me really excited to talk about this topic because <laughs> um, I think right now more than ever, we need some really good leadership, right? And we need less, probably less managers. So really excited about this. Yeah, yeah. And 
you know, obviously, you know, I've, I've worked on teams before as well. And, you know, shout out to Sean Sparks, great manager. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I've, I've understood, because I've, I've been a supervisor before as well, years ago when I was in college. And, you know, one of the things I think about in, in being an effective leader is understanding the people that you work with, understanding everybody's style, and and then understanding them, you have to get to know them, right? And you have to de- develop that relationship because mm-hmm. now that I'm thinking about it, I'm even thinking about like retention, right? And mm-hmm. being able to keep people because that's one thing that keeps people apart of organizations is like they feel like the organization has a vested interest in them. And that goes all the way down to the managers, right? Like what are the, what are the managers doing to help keep people in the organization, make people feel like the organization cares about their success, their mm-hmm. well-being, and all of those kinds of things. What are your, what are your thoughts around that? I mean, the manager plays an important role in any business. My mom sent me a postcard a long time ago when I first started my journey with Fleet Maddox, which eventually was sold to Verizon, as you know, and -hmm. the rest being history, eventually have the chance to become a people leader. But she sent me this thing that still sticks with me today, and it said, managers do things right and leaders do the right things. And so it's important, you know, as a manager, managers, they do the maintaining of things. They administer things usually well, sometimes not system focused, controlled leaders. They look at challenges. They're very people driven and focused. What's inspirational? What's motivating? Usually the strategic thinker versus the manager being more of an operational thinker. They ask what and why. The leader asks what and why, where managers are more kind of how and when. And the leaders are also thinking long-term too, which is really needed and important for employees, you know? So hopefully that's uh, some good insight there for you, Clark. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point when you, when you say what you just said. Now I'm thinking as far as being reactive and being proactive. Mm. And when you talk about the leader, I'm thinking proactive because you're, you're talking about looking down the road because I can even think of saying show as an example, you know, last year or really when the show started and for probably a year, you know, I was recording with everyone in person. But then when I started recording with certain guests, I had to find a, a different means to make those uh, recordings happen with guests that were across the country mm-hmm. and that I couldn't just, you know, fly out or have them fly here. So I'm like, how can I do this remotely? You know, fast forward to this year, we're in a pandemic. Now, you know, people are asking, like, you know, how's your, how's the show going? Like, are you still able to record? Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing it remotely. So just think just that whole thing about, you know, thinking down the road, right? Because again, that's being proactive. Like, trying to foresee and obviously I wasn't thinking about a pandemic but it just so happened that I was thinking ahead so when a pandemic happened I was all right <laughs> so yeah. would you would you say that's a fair a fair assessment to make as far as managers can, can I'm not going to assume but can tend to be reactive versus a leader being 
proactive. Yeah, and the, and the key there is I think managers are very much living in the now. So as that reactive, right, they're driving employees on a day-to-day. They really depend on the authority of others. You know, sometimes they use fear-based leadership methods. They know what they need to do, but they're kind of, you know, using people at times, a little bit more commanding. They say go, kind of even taking credit, where the leader is really thinking of the vision. And because you're being proactive, right, I think proactive being a key word, when you think of the vision, you can't help when you're looking into the future, but thinking of people. And the leader, on the other hand, rather than driving employees, coaching them, they're generating enthusiasm rather than inspiring fear. You know, they're fixing the breakdown rather than placing the blame for particular breakdowns. They develop people rather than just using them, you know, and they say, let's go rather than just go. So that proactive, when you're looking to the future, your preparedness plan is usually a lot better than the person just living in the now. So uh, I think that's a really good point. Wow. <laughs> you know, just, just, just listening to someone else say, honestly, you got me thinking about, again, like just the, the, the great leaders I've been around because a lot of that stuff is true. Uh, and also knowing, again, it just goes back to knowing that you have somebody that's invested in you and that, mm. that cares about your success. That's not just here to collect the check and mm. hopefully, you know, come in, do the status quo and at some point, hopefully get that promotion and move into that higher position. And, and being a manager I'm speaking of versus mm. the leader who's not who's who wants that but that's not the concern right now but again yeah. focusing on those little things because that's, that's something I always like to preach right you focus on the small things and then it'll, when the big thing comes you'll know it'll come because you got all the little things right yeah <laughs> So, yeah. You, well, John I mean, Maxwell says ahead. small disciplines, repeated daily equal success, right? And that's consistently over time. Those small things compound. So it's important that we do those. That's very true. Very true. All right, we're back. Now we're going to talk about being a team. When I put this together, again, with you in mind, you know, that was something that you did very well. Again, along with other managers that I've worked with, but again, you specifically, because you're my guest, so, you know, I thought about you, like you did this, you did this very well. Being, having a team that functions as a unit. I mean, heck, like I said, you departed and <laughs> your team was still successful <laughs> months on end. <laughs> And again, function as a unit and understood that you have to keep each other accountable. You, you, you have to get the job done still. So we have a new coach come in and okay, cool. We still as players have to perform. And fortunately for your team, you left them with something. And so we are wanting to talk to you a little bit about, you know, again, being a team. So if you could give us some, some of your insight as far as not only being a leader, obviously, but 
just being being a team what what does it mean uh, to be a team and what are some of the things that go into that it's really important when you first start a team and you know i had the privilege right when i had my team uh, and was given a team that not a lot of not a lot of people had worked with me before but they knew what i had done from an individual contributor standpoint so I had an opportunity to create the foundation right at the very beginning. And I think what a lot of teams fail to discover very quickly is what they want their identity to be. And not only the identity that their office sees them, but the rest of the company, the way that their customers see them. So creating that foundation at the very beginning is so important. And there are a few values two that stick out right at the front of mind. I remember when we first started that team, which went off to have some very, very good success, um, was one, nobody's greater than the team. We really tried to create um, a team of humility and a team that said, kind of like, I know nothing. And really come to the table and say, I'm not the know-it-all. Um, I'm going to search for the answer. I'm always hungry to learn. I'm going to be coachable. But nobody is greater than the team. Not one, no one, not one part. The second piece to that is we are going to commit to becoming better versions of ourselves. And because we do that, we'll see and attain unimaginable results. I just truly believe, and it's because I've seen it just work so um, well, I, more than any other thing that I can uh, attribute to any team, is when teams consistently and together commit to becoming better versions of themselves, specifically in a pers- from a personal perspective, that personal development, that growth, if, and I, and I always tell people, if everything outside of work is taken care of, when they come to work, they're gonna, they're gonna perform. And if, especially when work is, you know, we're continuing to build on that at work. So personal development is really big. So I really encourage people on our team, and it really starts with me, Right. Like I have to be a good leader. I have to maintain qualities of honesty and integrity and delivering things on on time and being vulnerable. So I think becoming a better version of yourself, everyone. And maybe that's not every single team, but teams at least have to commit to a particular value or a mantra and say, all right, we're all going to rally around this. And this is how we're going to grow and succeed together. And we'll lose together as well. Becoming a better versions of ourselves was key to our success. So, you know, anybody out there with a team, I really recommend focusing on that being the best you. And I don't think it'll really steer you wrong. You know what? <laughs> I like what you, I, I like a lot of what you, everything you said, really. One of the things I'm thinking about, because you, you hit something on the head when you said the identity, right? And that's so true because, you know, one of the things, obviously identity, we, that goes along with culture, right? What's the culture Mm -hmm. of the team? Because now I'm thinking about the, especially, you know, we talk about some of the great sports teams, UNC Chapel Hill, Duke University basketball, the Patriots under Bill Belichick, even uh, the Panthers when under Ron Rivera, like th- these teams had identities, right? Some of them still do have an identity, but when you look at how they, how they play, how they conduct themselves, you can tell 
right? Even when people leave, right, you can still see some of that in them mm-hmm. and how that culture, because it, it goes, it goes beyond is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. which is a great thing. And I think that's why it's important to have that identity because when we think about working as a team, it's more than just the work that you do, especially when you start talking about identity. And that's a positive because now I'm thinking about it. I don't know the science behind it or the psychology behind this, but I just feel like when you when 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 you're able to work as a team and you know you have you know a great practice, you have a great culture and you have a unified identity, I just feel like it it makes things more sticky in terms of the things that the team does, right? The things that, you know, whether, uh, again, like with, with sports, players that develop certain skills or uh, learn certain techniques, like it's more, it sticks. It, I, I feel like when they're, again, you have that, that kind of unity as a team, it's more of a chance that those things are going to stick with players and uh, even in the business world, professionals outside of being on that team. You know, those are things that they take with them where they go, which is a positive when you talk about a good team. And obviously, again, I've seen that from people on your team. They take they take what you've given them and they've gone elsewhere and they've had success. You know, and that's the go ahead. Yeah, no. And I mean, everything that you're saying, it ties so much. Sports probably gives us the best example. And. I, I always I'll direct people first to John Wooden. What a great coach. He said he never coached UCLA, never scouted the other team. He never scouted the other team. And he focused more on process, not the results. And he made basketball. He said, in essence, that it was just a game. Something had to be bigger than the game itself. And he really set that example by being the last person to leave the gym. And he would he would actually, there was a broom sitting there. And the story goes that he would literally be sweeping the gym while everybody's long and gone. And something had to be bigger than the game itself. And I think for all teams, whether it's a sports team or a sales team or a health-related team, whatever type of team you're a part of, if you're not able to tie it into something greater than the work that you're doing right there and then, it's it, that's all it will kind of be. So that's why I think that development of self and taking it outside of where we are is so vital to the future success of a team. Hopefully the success is just a byproduct of all that work that you're putting in. All right, now for the interview. I'm going to ask you some questions, Jake, so that the listeners can learn more about your leadership style and all the fun things that go along with that and get some some more great insight. So I'm going to go ahead and fire off with the first question. When empowering your team, you know, you give them a sense of control and obviously, again, uh, uh, empowering them to uh, take ownership of, of a few things. When do you know it's time to step in and get things or keep things on track? Mm, that That's a good one. And, um, you know, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a big fan of autonomy. 
the question always is how much autonomy is too much or too less. But when consistent habits arise, specifically bad habits, whether it's the person being habitually late or a lack of daily activity or just consistently not hitting their target or goal, right? It's usually, a, that's usually about the time to start intervening. Hopefully you've developed an awareness, you know, as a leader that helps you discern when correction or discussion is needed before the problem gets too bad. But secondly, hopefully you also get to know your team individually and in such a way that you know the styles, you know the way they learn. I check in once a week with my team members and I have a one-on-one format and agenda that helps me kind of gauge them, not only personally, but from a professional perspective. But however, you know, this question always makes me think of there's really two types of managers. And I heard this a long time ago, two types of managers. The first one comes to your desk and they say, you've had three months of not hitting your goal. If you don't hit this month, you're fired. The other type of manager, which we'd say obviously is the leader, is three months of not hitting your goal. Are you okay? How is everything? Everything all right? And it brings up, when you say empowering your team, the first thing I think of is empathy. Empathy is at the core of empowerment. And it's really the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. The follow-up then is, well, how do you get people back on track? Well, you have to support them. Some people need to be encouraged to step away, maybe take time off. But most people really need coaching. And, and I'm not talking about just coaching. They need authentic coaching. And thankfully, many people before us have had some great ideas on how to coach. Obviously, we have some really good examples of coaching. We already mentioned John Wooden. But one of the ones that I was most attracted to was the GROW model. Are you familiar with the GROW model, Cliff? I'm not. Please. So the GROW model by Sir John Whitmore, simply put, it's goal, reality, options, way forward. And once again, goal, reality, options, a way forward. And to break that down, it's what do you want to achieve? Where are you now? What options do you have? And what choice will you make? And following those four things, um, and as a leader, How can I help them throughout each of those steps? How can I help them through the things that they want to achieve, where they're at, what options they actually have, and then the choices that they're going to make? Whether it's giving them the tools to succeed, checking in more often, connecting them with somebody or resource, you name it. So that's essentially, in a nutshell, how not only um, when you have to try to discern when to intervene, but also get things back on track. That was that was a great response. I definitely like that part about, you know, the two different types of managers. The ones like, you don't do this, you're fired. Or, you know, three months, check in. How's everything going? That's, that's so true. That's so true. And people can really- And I think it's relatable. Yeah, truly, truly. So that's perfect. It leads into my next question. You know, obviously, when it comes to leading a team, trust is important. So how do you build trust amongst your team? First, I'd say you have to give it at the beginning. You can't tell people that they have to earn the trust. You have to trust them. Trust that they'll do the job that they've been hired to do, right? First and foremost. Second, 
I think you have to be, and this is just, and all these go hand in hand. It can't be you do one and you do the other, but you have to be a person of your word. You have to deliver on promises and expectations. There's this thing called the expectation gap I heard of a long time ago, and it's always stuck with me. And it's about experiences and expectations. And then oftentimes people's experience falls short because of the expectation that was set at the very beginning, whether it's too low or too high. So nailing that expectation is really important. So when you say you're going to promise a particular thing, it's really important how you set that expectation and that you follow through on it. Third, you have to set the example. You have to be the most prepared. You have to be the first one to arrive. I mentioned John Wooden. I'll say his name for the third time. Um, <laughs> he, he was the last person to leave the building, you know, sweeping the floors. I remember, um, you know, as an individual contributor, in order to learn the trade, I was trying to be the first person at work all the time. Um, an old mentor of mine always said, winners rise, winners start at dawn. Winners start at dawn. So, you know, you're there, you know, the first person, but the first person to arrive. So you have to set the example. So, so true and so important. And then lastly, I think you have to be honest with them, honest in feedback about where they are, even where the company is. You know, change is inevitable. It will happen. We've seen it a lot at Verizon and at Fleetmatics. But I think transparency around company initiatives, around changes, it's really key to trust. And I think sometimes some leaders or managers are afraid to be oh so transparent about some of the bigger picture things that are going on at a company because they think, wow, how, how are they going to take that information? How are they going to process that? So I think you really have to be honest with them. So, and to just recap those, you got to give trust at the beginning. You have to be a person of your word. You have to set the example and you have to be honest with them. I, you, you make a great point. Uh, one of the things I thought about, you know, it's like with celebrities, you know, when they're transparent and when they show people that they're human, people tend to like them more, no matter what they do. <laughs> there's people I'm not big fans of them but because they're transparent and they're honest and they're human and they show that mm. they make mistakes too and that they have flaws just like everybody else I'm like you know what I like this guy he's a cool guy <laughs> you know he's, he's gone through some things he's made his mistakes but hey he's honest he's trying to correct he's trying to do better and he wants to be a positive influence so I think about that with with leaders in general and even with mm. influencers right like having having a level of transparency letting people know hey I'm not, yes, I'm in this position, but yes, I am human <laughs> like you. Yeah. I go through some of the, I, like, especially when they say I've been there before. I've been through what you've been through. Mm. It, it changes things sometimes. And it's like, okay, this guy really understands me. Again, just going back to that whole empathy thing <laughs> you were mm. talking about. Um, hey, it's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. So how important is morale and how do you build and maintain it? You know, morale, probably one of the trickier things to nail in the culture, but it really is everything. People that know me will know that I say culture is everything. I'll probably say it again, even while I'm trying <laughs> to answer this. But, you know, it's oftentimes the difference between a huge day and an off day. I mean, we both know that from our sales experience that. Yeah. It really, I mean, that could totally just change. And if one person's off, you know, it could set the whole team off, right? So, but yeah. being in sales, one day can really be the difference between achieving a monthly goal or not. 
So I think you build morale, though, by building up others. The first, first 30 seconds of any conversation, I try to say something encouraging. And that's a John Maxwell philosophy. It's referred to as the 30-second rule. Morale is maintained through the overall culture and momentum. And culture, like I said, is everything. And momentum, well, it often solves 80% of a company's problems. Morale is affected by momentum directly. You know, morale is often good when you're winning, right? Mm-hmm. And um, usually, and, but when you're losing, it can be really difficult to maintain. So I, for me personally, I'll look to my faith in times of hardship. So I feel fortunate that I have that to fall back on. But generally speaking, you need to develop a culture that has something to fall back on. And I believe everybody really needs to understand their why, their why. Simon Sinek wrote a great book about this called Start With Why. And I often, and I'll pressure people, and this makes people uncomfortable because I've had to ask myself this, why even wake up in the morning? Why even do the work that I'm supposed to do today? Why do anything more that I'm required to do? There's something that has to drive us. And if a leader can't help those around them discover their own life's purpose within themselves, um, and as a team, you'll be able to do some pretty special things. So morale is truly maintained when you can get a group of people to believe in themselves and the company that they work for. But companies also have to empower their employees' visions all while effectively communicating theirs. So I hope that that helps kind of answer that. Yeah, definitely does. And, so now from, and, go ahead. And yeah, and Cliff, I, I have one last thought that just kind of peeked in that I think will hopefully drive this thought home even a little bit more. Because we talk about morale. I think this is really important. I'll usually ask people, people whose morale is usually when they're down, you know, because of it's never really something inside of work. It's usually a financial problem, a relationship, a bad morning, you know, even just driving to work and traffic. Now, obviously, that's not a problem for many of us right now, but um, I would ask people if I had a glass in my hand and it was filled 50% with water, I would ask them, do you see it as half full or half empty? And half the room would give me one answer, or half the room would give me another answer. And then I would say, well, how much do you think this cup of water weighs? And people would give me actual weights, like oh, maybe a pound or oh, maybe a couple ounces. But in reality, and this is what I'll bring it back to, is I'll say the absolute weight of the glass doesn't matter. It all depends on how long I hold that glass. If I'm holding mm. it for one hour, eh, it's not too heavy. Two hours, it's getting a little heavier. Four hours, this is getting pretty freaking heavy. Eight hours, all right, my hand's shaking, right? Hand starts to drop. Feels like a ton of bricks by that point. The point is, the longer I hold it, the heavier it feels. This is our negative thoughts. And I remind people it's important to let go of stresses and worries because the longer we hold on to those things, it only gets heavier on us. And directing people back to their why usually helps them let go of those things sooner than later. So I think that's really important when we talk about morale. That's why I love this why piece. I think that really helps build and maintain morale. <laughs> that, was, that was great. I know somebody needs to hear that. I'm glad you added that for sure. I'm preaching. <laughs> <laughs> My last question, and this is the one I'm most excited about, because I'm really interested to hear your response to this. Um, 
we often say it's business, uh, but doesn't it make it somewhat personal when you become emotionally invested? The context there is important. And sometimes companies do have to make tough decisions based on the financials of the business. You know, I don't envy CEOs of some of those larger companies right now where they've had to make some difficult decisions on employees based on how COVID-19, for example, has affected their business financially. Now, whether they have the capital or not to retain, that's on the company. But I think as with anything, tenure makes something certainly feel more personal, right? Just like a relationship, the more emotionally invested you are, the longer the time together the more painful the breakup, if it ever comes to that. When you've been loyal to a company, you've given years of service to a company, good service, like you've done overtime, mm-hmm. I mean, you've really gone above and beyond, you've contributed. I don't think it's wrong for anyone to feel like it's personal. So certainly, um, I think it is sometimes. And, uh, and that really depends on that tenure and what we've done up to that point of that company. Okay. Good response. Good response. <laughs> well, yo, I, this show felt like it flew by, honestly. <laughs> um, it really did. And uh, that's kind of rare, too. Um, but it was, a, it was a great time. Jake, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show and to offer such great insight really means a lot. Um, and again, it's always a pleasure speaking with you as well. Yeah, Cliff, I, I appreciate you having me on. Obviously, um, anybody knows you knows you're a great man. You're a great leader. Um, I love your work. I listen to it with my wife. And look, like people, especially right now, they really need um, they need to hear a lot of the things that you're bringing to the table. So I just want to commend you for all the work that you're doing, for committing uh, to bringing new content all the time. And look, you're doing some great things. So keep on trucking and uh, really appreciate you having me on. I, I, I really appreciate you for even saying that. It, it means a lot coming from someone like yourself. Uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I don't even know what to say, uh, but I thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, thank you again uh, for taking and coming on the same show. And to everybody else listening, you know, be sure again to follow the same show. Continue to like, share, subscribe. And you guys are listening to the same show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.